welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending August 20th, 2022. This week, HBO Max declares war on Sesame Street. You know what you did, Elmo. (laughs) (laughs) Elmo knows where Zaslav lives. (laughs) I'm Kim Hollis, voting Joker for mayor. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer who does all his shopping at Wegner's. You will always remember Crudite Week. Crudite Week. Sorry, sorry folks, they can't all be winners. (laughs) (laughs) Also, David Mumpower, published author and media analyst and no longer available on HBO Max. They deleted 27 episodes of me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who's just come back from the company picnic and he's full. It was great, guys. They had brisket and sliders and roast beef and chicken. Arby's. I just ate at Arby's. OK. <laughs> OK. <laughs> In our deep dive this week, the other shoe drops at HBO Max. And so does the axe, as a number of shows are now being yanked from the streamer and cancellations mount. Raul, what's the latest? Look, it doesn't sound like it, but I've been the optimistic guy here. The guy who said it's not as bad as it could have been. This week, it became that bad. There's some stories floating around the orbit of the bad news. There were some layoffs at HBO Max as they shut down the reality division, and that's unfortunate for those people. 70 people have lost their jobs. Certainly, if the ultimate goal is to merge with Discovery Plus, then why have a reality division at HBO Max? Sorry, F-Boy Island. But the bad news hit later in the week. This is the news I felt Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zasloff was going to deliver during the earnings call a couple of weeks ago but then walked it back in the face of a mounting backlash. I suggested that the bad news would still come, just it would be done with little or no fanfare. Movies like Locked Down and American Pickle were unceremoniously pulled from the streamer with no announcements. People just discovered this on their own, along with series like Vinyl, created by Martin Scorsese and Mick Jagger that never really lived up to its hype. It's just gone. This week, a list of 36 additional titles was revealed to be disappearing from HBO Max in the indeterminate future. And the problem here is that these are shows created by the studio. Once they're gone from the streamer, they're gone for good, unless they're willing to sell them off to another studio. And given some of the content, it seems unlikely this is stuff that they arguably can't sell because this is intellectual property that they own. This stuff is about to become quote unquote lost media, stuff that is never again going to be available to anyone anywhere. You can't find it, not on TV, not on streaming, not on DVD or Blu-ray or VHS or digital or whatever. Mind you, it's not necessarily high-profile content, but it's gone, gone for good. And I want to be clear here. Raul just said something important here. We're no longer talking about HBO Max exclusives. We are now talking about the shows that aired on HBO proper that on top of everything else we've already seen have since been banished into the ether. And there's some really fascinating titles they've just banished, aren't there, Raul? The list is much too long to to rattle off here, but some of the stuff, I mean, I don't know, 12 Dates of Christmas, I don't, that's a stupid reality dating show, but 
you know, if you ever watch it, you don't get to see it again. The animated DC series, Aquaman, King of Atlantis, Ellen's Next Great Designer, a reality competition show from Ellen DeGeneres, Generation or Generation, which was a show for young adults, a drama that we mentioned the premiere of every new season when it came to HBO Max. If you guys remember hearing us talk about that one, that one's gone. Infinity Train, which was an animated Cartoon Network show that my daughter loved. That one's about to be gone. Summer Camp Island, same. Cartoon Network show that my daughter loved. I haven't told her yet that she better get watching because those episodes are about to leave. Little Ellen, another Ellen DeGeneres show. This was a kids-oriented animated show. If we were wondering who it was that was canceling Ellen, uh, we know now it's HBO Max. Oh my God, it's like Ellen's Energy Adventure at Epcot all over again. (laughs) There you go. There's some lost media you're never going to see again. Also, the Not Too Late show with Elmo, a kind of talk show hosted by Sesame Street's Elmo, as well as a number of Sesame Street specials that were produced by HBO. 200 episodes of content just gone forever. Tig and Seek, the kids animated show. We used to mention those uh, premieres on our What's New in Streaming. The last new season of that show was in May. That one's gone. There's some stuff that's in the can. Summer Camp Island, the producers of that show indicated that they have a new season that is produced, ready to go. That one's gone. Never mind seasons in the past that you got to see. This is a season you are never going to get to see. As you said, Rule, it, it is just remarkable that this content is just gone. I mean, there's dozens of other shows that you didn't mention because it's just such a long list, but there's a, there's Cartoon Network content that's gone. There's a handful of other originals. There's some even stuff they, they acquired that's just, that's just gone. The fact that there can be this lost content in 2022 is remarkable. Even like, even movies though, you know, if, if it's not on a streaming site, if you dig around, you could probably find a way to, to pay 10 bucks to watch it on Amazon or something to that effect. But this content is just vanished. It's not anywhere. The fact that that is even possible anymore is astounding. And I do not understand what they're what they're doing here. And relatedly, did anyone get an email about signing up for HBO Max with some significant savings? I did. And I already had a year subscription. But isn't it funny what it said? Yeah, I can save over 40% when I prepay for a year. So I guess it's 40% off for what, 40% less content? (laughs) (laughs) It's brilliant when you think about it, because this is actually advertising specifically. You can get either one, but it is specifically for the ad version. So what they're saying is, please go ahead and lock in for a year's contract right now before you hear about all the other stuff. And we'll go ahead and give you some commercials too, because why not? (laughs) It is so purely anti-consumer that it's almost breathtaking. And I do want to point out that so far, a whole lot of people involved in these cancellations are still, to this very moment, staying quiet. If you go back to Batgirl, there's there was a lot of hay made this week about some actor, unnamed, who had a bit part in the movie who's very upset about it. Clearly, no one wants to stick their neck out. The feeling remains that at some point, Warner Bros. is is going to try to make it right for people. Maybe they'll give you another job, another gig, and another movie or something. But so far, you could tell there is a lot of upset people. If people were upset by what Jason Kyler did when he put all those movies on streaming, that is nothing compared to the seismic impact of what David Zasloff is doing to Hollywood today. Yeah, that's the thing about it that's amazing. I think 
and this is just speculation, but I'm pretty sure that these people are staying quiet because, like you said, they're thinking, well, Kylar came back and he wrote us a bunch of checks. Two or three hundred million dollars worth of checks is what was reported. So if we just don't complain, we'll get the same thing as Zaslav, which shows me that to this day, people don't understand what he is. He doesn't care about your feelings. He cares about the bottom line. He is not going to fix this financially for anyone except for himself, because that is what old man evil John Malone has told him to do. It is a Burns and Smithers relationship, period. All right. In our rapid fire this week, the Big Ten Athletic Conference has made a deal for TV and streaming rights. David, can you explain it to us? Basically, the Big Ten can't play defense. They can't win national championships. They hate the SEC. They're jealous of the SEC and Illinois sucks. Do I have that all right, Kim? (laughs) All except, well, actually, yeah, it's all right. (laughs) The rift in our relationship is that before Kim moved down here to be with me in Tennessee, my college football team was at the absolute top of the sport, the pinnacle. And we haven't won since she's been down here. So she brought her stupid Big Ten curse with her. But that's the side story here. The real story is simple. Fox is trying to do a thing and they are not being subtle about it, but it's not being reported yet. This is like what was happening with Zazalov a few months ago. A lot of people believe we're heading toward a time when there are only two, quote, conferences, unquote, in college sports, the SEC and the Big Ten. Doesn't matter what they're called. This is what they've been, you know, known for a long time. But all of the consolidation you're seeing includes the largest schools coming to one of those two places. Fox has deduced the fact that if it's going to go down to two, when it becomes, you know, the smallest possible oligopoly, they can't get shut out because they have... Fox Sports, they have all this other stuff. Even though they spun off the RSNs, they're still heavily involved. So they are trying to rebuild again. What Fox did was actually quite brilliant. They got rid of the RSNs right at the time when those were losing value. They sold them to Disney. Disney sold them to Sinclair, and Sinclair is dying because they're attached to an albatross. Meanwhile, Fox is about to build it up again, and that is what we're witnessing right now. Fox sat in on every meeting between ESPN and the Big Ten. We're talking about a 40-year relationship between ESPN and the Big Ten that admittedly was largely because of basketball, the sport where the Big Ten isn't a joke. But it was still a strong relationship. Fox starts going, oh, I don't think ESPN is paying enough money for these rights. We'd like to do this and this. And what happened is they bid ESPN out of the negotiations, Burt Rubble? That wasn't even the funny part, was it? What was the problem with Fox bidding up the rights so much? Well, the funny part is that Fox can't play big sports like ESPN can. ESPN has some deep pockets. So for Fox to be able to compete with ESPN, they needed to call in their buddies. They needed some backup. And uh, as it turns out, their backup was Paramount and NBC Universal. As crazy as it sounds, and honestly, if David could explain this to me, I'd love to hear it. Fox is going to share the Big Ten broadcast and streaming rights on Fox television, on CBS, on Peacock and on Paramount Plus. I'd love to see yeah, that happen. I can't explain it to you. Yeah, I, I, I'm not even going to try and explain it to you because I don't think anyone outside of the negotiation process has a clear idea of how this is going to work. But you can see this coming from 10 miles out because, Roel, I know that you love hockey. What happened when the NHL was no longer on ESPN? 
the NHL disappeared from ESPN and every news source that ESPN has. Suddenly, there were no hockey stories to report on Sports Center. You can go to ESPN at any point in the last 10 years if you use like the Internet Archive and you can see you basically had to have a murder in the NHL for it to become a headline on ESPN until like the Stanley Cup finals. It was like this entire sport no longer existed. It was actually like it was an HBO Max product that David Zaslav got a hold of. The Big Ten is now staring down the barrel of that same fate. They have basically said, all right, Fox says they can take care of us. Surely Fox can take care of us. That is their entire thing here. And Fox has convinced two other networks that, hey, we're dying, but if we all band together and show the team spirit, maybe just maybe we can save this. And what's probably going to happen is the Big Ten is going to diminish and it's going to wither. But there's a chance this turns into Pepsi Coke, where for all the criticism people have of Pepsi, it is perceived as a number two brand. And it's better to be the number two brand than not the number five or six brand. That is is all this is about is the other places trying to survive because they think that ESPN is about to dominate in the gambling industry. Gambling aside, the truth is that there is basically a monopoly when it comes to sports, and that is ESPN. They are the 800-pound gorilla here. They're the dominant force when it comes to sports broadcasting and sports news, sports reporting. And then there's the also-rans, and the also-rans essentially amount to Fox with their Fox Sports Network and arguably Warner Bros. Discovery with what they do at TNT and TBS. Um, What do they have there? They've got the NBA and they've got the NHL. But both of them are very much the also-rans compared to ESPN. Fox is trying to keep up with ESPN, and this is their gambit right now. And that's what Paramount sees. That's what NBC Universal sees. It's either you yield to ESPN or you try to create an alternative to it. And that's what's happening here, and good for them. But the fact of the matter is that essentially ESPN has everything except the Big Ten, and then everybody else has the Big Ten. And uh, that's still a very much a lopsided conversation. Meanwhile, Walmart is taking on Amazon Prime with their Walmart Plus membership program, having just added Paramount Plus to their bundle. Raul, can you tell us more? Walmart has their own Amazon Prime type service where you pay for a subscription and then you get free shipping. But what they've been missing for some time now is everything else that Amazon Prime gives you. Amazon Prime gives you, amongst other things, access to a streaming service, which is Amazon Prime Video. And uh, and Walmart thought, after certainly having tried their hand at streaming video in the past, that it may, it may make sense for them to also have a streaming video service. But rather than creating one of their own from scratch, what they're doing is something similar to what you get, say, with a mobile phone bundle like at Verizon, where if you sign up for Verizon, you get Disney Plus for free. In this case, if you sign up for Walmart Plus, you're going to get Paramount Plus included as part of that bundle. And that is for the price of, I believe it's $98 a year, which is fantastic when you realize that Paramount Plus costs $99 per year. It costs you a dollar less and you get Walmart Plus free shipping included with that. So that's a no brainer there. 
that's the catch of it, though. How useful is Walmart Plus? And this is why they're kind of facing this situation. Walmart saw Amazon doing Amazon Prime and thought, hey, we should do that, too. They don't have a strategy here. But I will say there is a winner in all this since we're a streaming podcast. We're expecting Paramount Plus subscriptions to go up quite a bit because of this, aren't we? Oh, yeah, that's the easy catch here. Essentially, every Walmart Plus subscriber now automatically gets converted into a Paramount Plus subscriber as well. It's going to be a one-time bump, but that one-time bump is going to be millions of subscribers. You can imagine that in whatever quarter this actually happens, the folks over at Paramount are going to be crowing about, look how many more subscribers we've added. Right. It's even better than that because they're also getting Walmart to pay them to get more subscribers. It's an incredibly good deal for Paramount. Paramount might have the best overall leadership team in streaming. Yeah, the the only drawback here is that I'm I'm not pulling the trigger yet because I'm waiting to see if maybe Walmart manages to convince somebody else to bundle in as well. Can I get HBO Max included as well? Will they add Disney Plus too? I'm really optimistic that I'm going to be able to get all my streaming services through Walmart Plus for $98 a year. And that's the thing that kind of mystifies me about this. I realize that we're very, very hard on an HBO Max discovery. I'm trying not to be. I really am. But Walmart kind of publicly declared that they were going to do this with one of the streaming services, almost like a feeling out process of, hey, we're open to offers, come at us. How in the world did HBO Max, desperate for cash at that point, not jump all over that deal? Yeah, that story came out just last week and we decided not to run with it. And it turns out we made the right decision because just a week later, the, the actual subscription service was announced and that was Paramount+. Plus. I imagine Paramount came in with a lower offer, but it also makes me think that maybe there's still opportunity. That is, honestly, I feel that there is still the likelihood that other streaming services still might sign on with Walmart Plus. I'm not sure that they have committed to only Paramount Plus so far. Right. So this should be a slam dunk easy win for HBO Max Discovery in particular, but really for any of them, because if you talk about T-Mobile, T-Mobile gives away several different streaming services as part of it. Walmart will do the same. Now, eventually Walmart Plus will raise its prices, but if you're getting everything packaged in, it's totally fine. This is something that should become a larger avenue to explore, and I actually commend Walmart for at least coming up with a unique strategy here. Finally, the rights to J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit properties have been sold. Raul, can you break it down for us? So these are the rights previously held by the Saul Zantz Company, which are the rights to movies and series of fewer than eight episodes. It's no coincidence then that uh, that Amazon has produced a miniseries, The Rings of Power, that's eight episodes long. That means that they, Amazon, could deal directly with the Tolkien estate and not with the Saul Zantz Company. Those rights to be fair, are up in the air if in fact not being negotiated before a judge at this very moment. But what's of particular interest here is who bought those rights. And that is the Embracer Group, the Swedish video game developer who we've been keeping an eye on for a while now. Folks, Raul should legitimately take a victory lap here because he started sniffing out this story a while ago. I mean, a while ago. And he had it before anyone else. And this is a bingo. Oh, hell yeah. 
the Embracer Group, a Swedish video game developer, now owns the Lord of the Rings. How does that make sense to anyone who honestly isn't paying attention? The fact of the matter is that these guys have been in stealth mode for a while, buying up companies like Dark Horse Comics, who, who is responsible for productions like the Umbrella Academy and other properties. I remember just recently they bought Tomb Raider, not the game. They bought the rights to Tomb Raider. If you want to make a Tomb Raider movie or video game or series, you got to talk to the Embracer group now. They are the 800-pound gorilla that nobody saw coming except us. We're not talking about a small property here. When we're talking about huge franchise potential out there outside of Disney, so we're not talking Star Wars or Marvel. We're not talking about Warner Brothers DC Comics. We are talking about uh, what? Star Trek. We're talking about Harry Potter. We are talking about the Lord of the Rings. And the Lord of the Rings now belongs to a Swedish video game company. Raul, do I have this right? It is now possible for competing Lord of the Rings projects. Is that correct? It's not only correct, it's exactly what's happening. The Lord of the Rings project, the Rings of Power that is coming up, that's going to be appearing on streaming in the next coming days, produced by Amazon Prime, is entirely independent right now of the rights owned by the Embracer company. They were produced independent because they are eight episodes long and anything that is eight episodes or longer, you get those rights from... J.R.R. Tolkien's Descendants. Anything that is fewer than eight episodes or anything that's a movie, then you know you got to talk to the Embracer company. So if you wanted to adapt The Hobbit, you could do it one way and you could do it a different way and you can both do them at the same time. Which means that when Amazon made the curious decision to leave Peter Jackson out of the new production and he kind of sounded grumpy about that and somewhat offended, there is now a door open for someone else to come in and go, well, theirs doesn't have Peter Jackson, ours does and just cut him a check. He doesn't even need to do anything, but then you get that credibility. Is that right? That's exactly right. If Embracer wanted to make a series based on the Tolkien backstory content, the Cimmerillion and all of that, which is exactly what the Rings of Power is, they could do that now and they could be essentially, they would be retelling the same story that is being told right now on Amazon in their series, The Rings of Power. And it could be airing simultaneous to Amazon's one, except they could have brought Peter Jackson on board to consult or produce or direct. And they can say, no, this is the official one because we've got Peter Jackson working on it. Hey, uh, you know what this is? It's a licensing nightmare. (laughs) As ever. (laughs) (laughs) And in one more story, the inevitable happened as Nexstar purchased the CW, taking this albatross off the necks of Paramount and Warner Brothers. But in a shocking twist, Nexstar claims that they'll be profitable by 2025. I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a second. I don't see where any of that revenue comes from, much less how they expect to be profitable. Nexstar is the company that owns the local affiliates that were showing the CW across America. If the CW failed, Nexstar would have no content for the local affiliates. So it made sense that if they wanted the CW to continue to stay afloat, they would have to buy it. Otherwise, the companies that previously owned the CW, Paramount and Warner Brothers Discovery would just shut it down because it has been a money loser since day one. And Nexstar to come in and say, now we're going to be profitable. I'd argue the only way they're going to do that is by selling a whole lot of advertisement. But like who watches ads anymore? And just to be clear, that's not even the amazing part of the story. During the conversation about this, it came up that... 
I can't even believe we're saying this. Roel, how old is the average viewer of the CW? Well, I guess we know who watches ads. Apparently, the average viewer of the CW is 58 years old. What? The average CW viewer was born in the 1960s? I can't be right. I mean, that this, just doesn't pass the flat test. Again, this I, I don't believe it. This doesn't make sense. Shows on the CW are Riverdale, All-American, 90210, The Flash. These are all teen-oriented shows. How is the average viewer of the CW 58 years old? But yes, the only way for Nexstar to be profitable is for them to sell advertising because there's nothing else else for them to do with these networks than to sell advertisement. How else do you monetize a, a local television affiliate? And honestly, yes, 58-year-olds is exactly the demographic that will watch TV and will watch linear TV and will watch advertisement on linear TV. So whether it is true or not that the average viewer is 58 years old, it's certainly what advertisers want to hear. So maybe this is just a ploy for Nexstar to get advertisers to sell them more ads. Before we talk about the ratings, let's talk about a story that's relevant to the box office. David, can you tell us a bit more about what's happening with Regal? This is probably the saddest story we're ever going to cover from an emotional perspective because everyone participating in this podcast loves movies. And that was actually what bonded us 20 years ago legitimately. Regal was once a Knoxville corporation. And I mean, Kim and I have both had discussions with Regal over the years about working there. A few years ago, Cineworld purchased Regal and had actually plotted to buy AMC as well. They were so confident in the movie theater industry that they were trying to create a virtual monopoly. And well, the world went crazy. The pandemic closed theaters and Cineworld has never recovered financially. Oddly, AMC has because it turned into a meme stock. And because it turned into a meme stock, they wound up with about, I don't know, last I saw it was $1.3 in cash they were sitting on. Cineworld is exactly the opposite and they are in danger of financial collapse. And that is not an exaggeration. They have had to file for bankruptcy this week because they have looked and have seen what Tim has talked about in the upcoming months. There is not enough quality cinema coming to justify the financial burden of running movie theaters. And so what's happened is they've got $5 billion worth of debt, whereas AMC has a billion dollars in cash. And I think Cineworld is going to survive this, but I have to emphasize, I only think, and honestly, at this point, the most likely thing seems to be that the people who bought Regal now get bought out themselves. It, it is just a thoroughly depressing situation. And if you have a Regal Theater in your hometown, you should just get in the habit of checking Cinema World just to make sure that they're okay. Does the theater industry then just maybe need more David Zaslov's, more people who say that they should be putting their content on uh, the silver screen rather than on streaming? Would that save theaters or is it because people just aren't going to the movies at all? Cineworld operates almost 9,200 screens across 750 sites. They're in 10 countries. Is there enough product right now in the theater industry to run a 16 to 18 screen theater? Of course not. We're lucky if we have two good new films a week. I mean, I think it was already now three weeks ago that we said Bullet Train was the only thing coming out that weekend and there wouldn't be anything else for a while. There will be occasional surprises. Might even be one this weekend. You never really know for sure, but it is grim and it is probably going to stay grim until November at the earliest. 
And let me be clear, even if we have a good November and December, it's still going to be rough for most of January, February, and March when there aren't, you know, like Marvel films. So this is an ongoing issue and it... I don't think that this is going to be the end of those 9,200 screens, but I do think the most logical outcome here is new ownership. Well, let me put that another way then, David. Is movie going dead or is Warner Brothers Discovery right to be putting their content in theaters first? Is there still profit in that or is it just too late? There is absolutely a profit for the people who make the films because the contracts with movie theaters are so one-sided. You have to realize that more than 90% of opening weekend revenue goes to the people who make the film, not the theater, which is why, you know, the last time we got popcorn and drinks, it was $25. That's just the reality of what they have to do to survive. But the thing is, the split gets better in future weeks. And that's why the theater window has always been so important. That's why they fought to keep it in the uh, 45, 50 day range is so that they're getting more money in the second, third, fourth weekends. We've now reached a time where legitimately nine out of every 10 movies is dead by the third week in theaters. So that split no longer helps. So what would have to happen is the people who make films would have to agree to a fairer bargain with the theater exhibitors and nobody gives up money these days. Certainly not the David Zaslavs of the world. It certainly sounds grim then because at the same time, the studios want to be able to prop up their streaming services. And the way they do that is to get their movies onto streaming sooner rather than later. And that is exactly the window in which evidently theaters can make most of their profit. And so long story short, it sure looks like streaming has killed the theater. Let's say eroded dramatically. I don't think this is, I I don't hear the bell yet, but this is a very disconcerting turn of events. And the part of it that we're not really focusing on enough that alarms me, if AMC hadn't turned into a meme stock, most of the theaters in the United States would be in the same situation. Thankfully, right now, it's just regal. And somebody is probably going to see the opportunity you're discussing, and they're probably going to try and consolidate the two, or they're going to try and come in and be, you know, just like regal's master. But it it is such an uncomfortable situation. This is basically everything we predicted in the pandemic finally coming to fruition. It didn't happen overnight. So people said rumors of the theater's demise was great exaggerated. I don't think it's dead, but I also don't think it's healthy. Okay. Thank you for that conversation. Tim, how about we talk about the ratings now? Sure. Why not? We have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, July 18th through Sunday, July 24th, 2022. And it's a pretty quiet week, but there's a couple of things to talk about here. Uh, your most watched show of the week is... Yeah. Yeah. Stranger Things. Come on, Tim. What's number two? Nope. Virgin River is number one. What? Ah, yes. A big a big upset. I bet you thought Stranger Things would be the top show for like, I don't know, at, at least several more weeks. At least I thought so. But uh, yeah, no, here's the new season of Virgin River that, that arrived. 2.6 billion minutes for 42 total episodes. <laughs> wow. Okay. We're all too stunned to speak. Virgin yeah. River is what I think it is, right? That's the Netflix thing. That's like the romance in the small town. That's yeah, that's the one. Uh, I, I remember thinking it was a lot like uh, like Everwood. Yeah, I think that's definitely what it's trying to go for. I've seen the first season and a half of it, and it is fine. It is definitely no Stranger Things. This is bizarre. 
Yeah, the fourth season actually arrived on midweek on the 20th. Again, Netflix going with middle of the week releases for some reason. So this does constitute most of the week rather than just three days. When we saw it last year, it was definitely huge. And I, I think there's a chance it, it could go a little higher, or at least sustain this number with a full week. Yeah, I mean, 2.6 billion. That's that's real numbers right there. That oh, is yeah, a absolutely. performance. Yeah, that's that's great. We knew this. We, we definitely said, oh, this was going to be a big one because we knew it was popular when we Saw it on what's new for for that week about a month ago, but yeah, that, it's the answer to the trivia question. What what show dethroned Stranger Things for, for, from the from the top of the the original chart? Stranger Things is of course in second, still another two point two billion minutes for its thirty four episodes. Uh, meanwhile, in third, here's Resident Evil, seven hundred seventy two million minutes for eight episodes for the first full week of its availability. Ooh, that's not good. It's honestly not down as much as I was braced. For, but last week we'd had the conversation and I'd indicated I thought it would drop and that is what has happened and um, again a week ago I said it was strange that Netflix hadn't renewed Resident Evil it's getting stranger every no, week so no, no, it, now it's now it's almost strange that they haven't canceled it <laughs> exactly yeah uh, the Umbrella Academy still here in fourth 553 million minutes viewed for 30 episodes the Amazon shows that have been around for a while now in fifth and sixth the boys 532 million minutes for 24 episodes and the terminalists apparently the same number 532 million for eight episodes the terminalist has a shocking amount of staying power especially given the critical response to it i have written it off week after week the terminalist will not be on the list next week i keep saying and yet there it is and yet on the other hand amazon hasn't renewed it yet yeah it hasn't collapsed like we've seen happen with with some shows but yeah the fact that it has not gotten a renewal even with a, a month additional data it's still a very interesting choice by, uh, by amazon but considering when it's not netflix and the other services you know definitely want their original hits so i still would expect it but i am surprised as we haven't heard anything about it yet uh, our other new show this week is from netflix this is alba 416 million minutes for 13 episodes uh this is a, a spanish show it's definitely a dramatic series according to wikipedia it's a adaptation of a Turkish series. It's not brand new. It actually premiered in 2021, uh, though it apparently showed up on Netflix for this ratings period. And since uh, Netflix's algorithm tends to promote the newer product, I guess that's that's why it's here. Especially, this, you know, there is a sizable footprint for you know non-English language viewing on Netflix which is definitely a blind spot for us, but we only have, have so much data to go with. Uh, only Murders in the Building, sticking around, 15 episodes, 372 million minutes, and two shows returning to the originals charts with new seasons arriving. Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous, the animated series, 361 million minutes for 49 episodes, and Blown Away, the glass-blowing reality competition, 284 million minutes in 10, 30 episodes total. It honestly makes me a little ill that those two have done almost as well as Only Murders in the Building. That just seems wrong. <laughs> You almost have to play a game sometimes when it's a not Netflix show, like especially one that we like, like Only Murders in the Building. Like, what would this do on Netflix? What would what would Ted Lasso do if it was on Netflix? Like, what would those numbers be like? Because <laughs> they just they have so much more viewership, especially in in Nielsen ratings than the other services. <laughs> All right, so here's the big news of the week, because over in movies, we have the premiere of The Gray Man, the $200 million action movie. So what, like 3 billion minutes? Uh, 1.4 billion. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to say for no particular reason that Fatherhood had a budget of $15 million and didn't do that much less than this. Yeah. How many Kevin Hart movies can you make for the budget of The Gray Man? <laughs> Quite a lot. And they're all showing up on Netflix over the next several months. 
I would imagine that's what Kevin Hart's agent is saying right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I bet you Will Smith is on the phone saying I could do it for half as much. (laughs) And nobody says no to Will Smith these days for reasons. (laughs) I, I, I have to check into why I haven't, haven't heard anything about Will Smith lately, but yeah, this is the, the big uh, flashy expensive uh, action film starring you know, Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, Ana de Armas directed by the Russo brothers who have done some Marvel stuff, even the ones people liked. Yeah. But this was not really well reviewed. So this was, does not appear to be money well spent Netflix. Makes you wonder if this is one of the reasons that they began, you know, scaling everything back in terms of original content creation at the expense of, you know, independent creators. It just seems that Netflix, at least for a while, was in this mode of being able to throw money around and they didn't particularly care for the quality of the content they were creating. So long as they got some A-listers on that project, they have made a lot of hay about the Gray Man and suggestions that they were going to work with the Russo brothers on spinoffs and sequels. And I wonder just how much of that is actually going to materialize now. Oh, God. Red Notice cost about $200 million too, supposedly. And I'd argue Red Notice actually probably did better. I think that may have done better. Yeah. The rest of the movies is actually a bunch of things we've seen before. Nothing else new or weird this week, shockingly. Uh, Sing 2 in second. Drop, so you drop from the $1.4 billion of The Gray Man all the way down to $490 million for second for, for Sing 2. So we're, we've almost normalized the, uh, the, the movies list here. Uh, the Sea Beast, last week's winner, in third, 488 million minutes. Persuasion, 305 million minutes. A whole bunch of Disney Plus content in the next several spots. Zombies 3, 266 million minutes. Encanto, 240 million. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, 198 million. And Moana, returning, 188 million. HBO Max's The Bob's Burgers movie, 183. And we did see this one last week, Chips. The movie from 2017, 179 million. I feel like all is right in the world with Moana and Encanto back in the top 10. Yes. Needs yeah, more but, Frozen. I was going to say, it's like, uh, I I think Encanto may have permanently bumped Frozen out of the top 10, but I, I suspect well, it'll make an appearance you know, towards the end of the year. If only there was something Disney could do to get Frozen back into the conversation again. Hmm. Hmm. On a seemingly unrelated note, Disney has just announced its latest batch of Disney legends. And, well, it's Kim's beloved Jonathan Groff, who plays a voice in Frozen, and Idina Menzel, who plays a voice in Frozen, and Kristen Bell, who, among many other things, plays a voice in Frozen. Oh, okay, it's going to be Frozen. I think there's someone else there, too, Josh Gad. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, here come the Frozen headlines. (laughs) (laughs) acquired meanwhile is 10 shows we've seen before and this one just doesn't make sense anymore because i don't know why it's still here but it's led by alone 745 million minutes for 49 episodes again not all of which are on netflix if Las Vegas was running a pool on what was going to replace Criminal Minds at number one on the Acquireds list, everyone would have lost except the house. Yeah, still only the eighth season and 12 episodes on, on Netflix. I do not understand it. We we assume when a show is credited to multiple services, one of them being Netflix, that 90% of the viewership comes from Netflix. Uh, but I guess Hulu is 
just contributing just enough. Or maybe people saw it on Netflix and said, oh, I like this. Where, where do I watch more of this? And they, they figured out the uh, other seasons are on Hulu. I, I'm out of ideas as to how it sustained this kind of number, let alone spent more than one week at the top of the acquired chart. Very, very odd. Uh, the only other notable thing that I'll point out is we have the return of the Big Bang Theory, which was only, we only saw Friends last week as far as the HBO Max content goes. This one actually edging just ahead of Friends, 460 million minutes to 402 million minutes for Friends. But yeah, not a not a big week in the ratings outside of the two big premieres. Not much I expect to shake things up next week. We will get full numbers for for the Gray Man and, and Virgin River, and uh, we'll see what happens from there. And we'll just continue to marvel at the ridiculous numbers Stranger Things continues to put out. So that's all, that's all I have for the ratings for this week. Thanks for that, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week. Netflix has renewed the adult animated series Love, Death, and Robots for a fourth season. Someone's clearly watching. Someone clearly is. But the big Netflix news for us is that they're rebooting the reality competition show The Mole. Yes. (laughs) God, I'm so excited about this. None of this celebrity mole garbage, Netflix. You get random people, one of them working against the group to complete these tasks, and the others have to figure out who it is. And also you find one of your money trucks. I know you still have some. You get Anderson Cooper. Okay. (laughs) Oh, it would be. It would be fantastic. When I texted this to it my brother. It would be delicious. Yeah. And, and and I'll tell you, it's like the moment I saw this, I texted this to my brother. And his immediate reply is, is Anderson Cooper hosting? <laughs> but let me tell you about Celebrity Mole. There is very little on television that is greater than the moment you're watching Corbin Bernson and Stephen Baldwin losing their minds as they're trying to figure out who the mole is. <laughs> that is the moral of the story. Never trust Angie Everhart. <laughs> you were literally watching two people lose their minds, and it was fantastic. The premise of the show is that there's a number of contestants, and they're all trying to accomplish tasks. And if they do them right, they win money. But every once in a while, someone screws up, and oh no, we lost this task, so we're not going to get money. But sometimes, Someone's actually intentionally messing up because they're being paid by the producers. One one person is secretly working against the group to prevent them from adding money to the the pot. In the original versions of the show, as they would successfully complete these tasks, they would be uh, added to the cash prize for the winner at the end of the season. But yeah, one person's working against them. And then they vote at the end to figure out, to say who, who it is and the person who they 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 asked they asked several questions as to who the identity of the mole is. The person who does the worst on that quiz is is eliminated from the show. And so it behooves you to convince other people that you may be the mole when you're not, so that then they think you are, and so that they do poorly on the test and get eliminated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is crazy chaos. And just to show you how weird it can get, the person who figured out Angie Everhart was the mole was. Dennis Rodman. This show is insane. (laughs) Over at Apple TV Plus, the Roseburn series Physical has been renewed for a third season. Good Lord, why? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm not taking anything away from Roseburn and maybe even I'm conceding that this show might be good, but I think she's got to have dirt (laughs) on someone over at Apple TV or else no way the show gets a third season. (laughs) No, it's not good. (laughs) 
unless something really changes after a few episodes. It's awful. Physical is going to have as many seasons as Glow. Do you realize how wrong that is? Oh my God, that crossed my mind too. This, oh, that is, that is an outrage. It's all women and leotards in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. That's how they think of it. Over at Hulu, Baz Luhrmann is recutting his epic movie Australia into a series called Faraway Downs. Good Lord, why? <laughs> <laughs> Remember Baz Luhrmann's epic movie Australia? <laughs> he does. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this isn't unprecedented. Quentin Tarantino actually recut The Hateful Eight as a miniseries on Netflix. But people actually wanted to see Hateful Eight. I'm not entirely sure people want to see Australia. I'm not even sure Hugh Jackman remembers Australia. It's that bad. (laughs) Finally, Peacock got lucky as the John Wick prequel, The Continental, is jumping from stars to the NBCU streamer. Producer Lionsgate says that the show is better suited for Peacock than stars. Kim, what would Lying Cat say about that? (laughs) Lying. (laughs) Nobody could possibly believe that. This is horrible news. Lionsgate said a whole lot of stuff about how Stars is better suited for other demographics. They talked about Outlander and how that's, you know, more female oriented and they want the Continental on, on a different streamer because of that. The truth is more about the fact that Lionsgate is in some financial difficulty. They're trying to sell themselves and they're also trying to sell their streaming service, Stars. And it means that ultimately they have no real obligation to stars anymore once they spin it off that's not their streaming service anymore so why should the continental be on stars if they could maybe be getting more money from another streamer be it peacock or netflix or hbo max or what have you in this case it looks like peacock won the sweepstakes peacock also happens to have secured the rights to play the john wick movies for some time it may have been part of a larger bundle it makes sense that if you're going to get john wick's part one two and three why why not get the Continental as well? I'm sure Peacock paid a lot of money for that. They'll be making a lot of noise about it. We probably won't see the press releases because they're so bad at marketing. You know, that's actually a really good point. Surely to God, if they do a John Wick series, they'll promote it, right? Uh, I'm doing the hand wave motion, hand wave motion, side by side thing, which you can't really see because this is an audio medium. But I don't know. I'm confident they'll promote it, just not to the right people. Or they'll release it weekly and they'll promote it when the season is complete, right, Roel? <laughs> well, they've never done that before. By the way, there's a, <laughs> there's a Simon Pegg series on Peacock that just wrapped up its run, and now they're promoting it heavily. <laughs> so, uh, oh yeah. Why? Oh. Okay. As always, we close the show out with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And I downloaded Cult of the Lamb. It's um, kind of the hotness in games right now. Yeah, so a lot of people talking about that. I don't really know much about it, though. (laughs) So basically, you play as a lamb that gets sacrificed by some evil gods, and then you build your own followers to try to avenge yourself. You build up your area, you preach to them, you cook for them. So it kind of combines a hack and slash with Animal Crossing. So what could be better? Ladies and gentlemen, this woman sleeps beside me every night and I am now terrified. (laughs) (laughs) Roll, how about you? (laughs) 
I'm going to start off by saying if you're still not watching The Resort on Peacock, you are missing a gem. It is one of the great whodunits on streaming right now. It is right up there with only murders in the building. It's even got a considerable amount of humor. And I'd argue that the uh, supporting characters, the, the Mexican actors on the show are a surprise. They are a delight. Uh, they bring a whole lot to it, a lot more than I expected. I, I didn't realize that they'd be getting as uh, large of a role in this as they are. And really, I am at the edge of my seat waiting for every new episode to premiere. On Tuesdays, it's only Murders in the Building. On Thursdays, it's The Resort. And you guys all need to be watching this. But I've already mentioned The Resort in the past, so I'm going to tell you instead that I did finally get around to watching The Great Season 2 on Hulu. This is the historical series, and I'm going to put that in quotes, where Elle Fanning plays Catherine the Great, the uh, Russian Empress. I'm putting it in quotes because uh, they take a considerable amount of liberties with the uh, narrative. It is a lot more a comedy than it is a drama. There are some dramatic elements to it, but somehow they always manage to make it warm and fuzzy and uh, very funny throughout. Nicholas Holt is her foil and her antagonist as Peter, the czar of Russia, who she overthrows. He really started off season one as almost like a an afterthought, a secondary character that really was just going to be irrelevant to the story really Elle Fanning is a star here, but he has really come into his own in season two, which is ironic because given the history, you know that he's not going to be around for very much longer. But the real shining star of season two is Gillian Anderson, who shows up for a two episode run. Man, she chews up that scenery. She is loving the role that she comes She comes in as Catherine's mother from Germany, who uh, comes in to visit for a while and causes quite a bit of chaos. The Great is just a delight. It is a surprisingly quick watch considering how many episodes it is and how long each episode is, but you're going to get through them in just a couple of nights. I recommend it and you can find it on Hulu. All right. Thanks, bro. How about you, Tim? So last week I mentioned I'd only played the first map in Two Point Campus and had maybe about an hour or so in, but now I've got over a dozen hours and I'm on like the sixth or seventh map. And yeah, it's it's good. It is a much more chill experience than Two Point Hospital. You know, the gameplay and management is very similar and totally my thing. But instead of watching things potentially fall apart, like in Two Point Hospital, where just people are dying left and right and things are collapsing and you can't fix it and you have to start over, doesn't seem to be much of a way to fail. In two point campus, there's no like weird bottlenecks or anything like that either, short of just expanding too quickly and running out of money and not being able to do anything else. Um, that's not to say it's not challenging. The requirements they give you for the two and three stars on each level often require planning ahead and designing things differently, but I'm still really enjoying it. I'm sure at some point in the later level, they will switch up the formula to make earning money a lot more difficult because usually after that first uh, year or so in the game and you can expand and your enrollment increases and you make more money, it's actually pretty easy to to make money in the game, but I still am enjoying it, still recommending it. And uh, I will probably talk about it again when they release DLC in you know several months, hopefully. Excellent. And David, how about you? Like, I don't know the answer. So, since my wife is apparently leading a cult now, I'm sleeping with one eye open. And since I'm doing that anyway, I figure I might as well play video games. No, seriously. Kim's the absolute best. I say that and I mean it. A couple of years ago, she was like, you really need more distractions. You're just 
working too much. And so she told me to go ahead and start playing Madden again, which I did at the start of our relationship, but I hadn't done it in a decade. And I've started doing that occasionally. And what happens is I'll get really, really into it. Then I'll like, whoa, I have to stop because I love it way, way, way too much. Madden 23 came out this week. And I have to say it is a joyous celebration of the life of John Madden. There is actually a game when you first start it, they make you play. There is no skipping the game, no evading it. It is all Madden versus all Madden. And there's even a halftime show dedicated to the greatness of John Madden. This is a love letter to someone who meant a lot in my life. And while the game is basically the same game as last year, which is a lesser version of the game in 2021, it's still so much fun that I don't care. And if you'll excuse me, I have to get back to getting Kyle Pitts up to a level 99. So bye. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week.